to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 20. And we will, um, we won't read the entire narrative passage this morning. We'll begin with verse 1 and read through verse 18, covering the first scene. And then we'll walk through the rest of the text just to give you an idea of, of where we're going. But before we read, let us pray. Father, we thank you for your grace toward us. And as we come to your word now. I ask, Father, that you would open our eyes to see the truth of your word and open our minds to comprehend the truth of your word and our hearts to love the truth of your word. Father, set our desires and our affections upon you and increase them, we pray, by your Holy Spirit's presence and through your word. Father, refresh us this morning. Give us strength and give us perseverance in the midst of of life. And Lord, help us to keep our eyes singularly focused upon you and the hope of eternal life that you have given us through Christ. And so, Lord, speak today, we pray. And I pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The title of the message this morning is The Surprise of Hope. And it's a a message that we're accustomed to hearing on Easter Sunday. But as we've been walking through the Gospel of John, we've arrived at this really climactic point for John as he's he's telling us and describing what happened on that morning when they came to the empty tomb, the disciples, the women, when they all arrived there at the empty tomb. And so if you found your place in chapter 20, verse 1, let it be known by saying amen and follow along as I read. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. And so Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings there, but he did not go in. And to Simon Peter, and Simon Peter came also, following him, and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself." So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, 
If you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew or Aramaic, Rabboni, that means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I've seen the Lord and that he said these things to her. Good Friday and Easter Sunday have earned names on the calendar. Yet in a real sense, we live on Saturday, the day with no name, so to speak. What the disciples experienced on a small scale in those 36 hours of grief over one man who had died on the cross, we now live on a cosmic scale. Human history grinds on between the time of promise and the time of fulfillment. Can we trust that God can make something holy and beautiful out of a world that includes stories like Bosnia and, and Rwanda and modern stories such as, uh, such as what's happening right now in, uh, in Iraq and, and all across the Middle East? Can we trust that God can make something beautiful and good out of a world that includes inner city ghettos and jammed prison with, with the, in the richest nation on earth? I think what we see as we approach this text, or what I want us to see, is that it's Saturday on planet Earth, and we long, like the Apostle Paul who says, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, we long for that day when we say, come Lord Jesus, where there is the fulfillment of of the end of time, and, and we are all brought up into God's presence. But now we live in between the resurrection and the return, the promise and the fulfillment. So this morning, as we look at the hope of resurrection, I I want us to see that Christ's resurrection is not a myth. It's an actual event that grants hope for eternal life to all who believe in Him. And this morning, I, I want us to respond to Christ's resurrection through faith, through worship, and through living on mission for Him. That's the hope this morning as we hear God's word and look again at this familiar story, the resurrection of Christ. But perhaps this morning, for the first time, the resurrection can transform your life. Or maybe this morning you need to be refreshed by the Lord. And, and it's, a, it's a reminder that, that death is not the end. It's a reminder that Christ overcame death. As Dr. David read earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 50 through 58 and and really the whole of chapter 15 celebrates the resurrection of Christ. And so we live in this time between Christ's resurrection and his return. A time which Jesus's words to Thomas are words for us as he says in verse 29 of this text. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who did not see and yet believe. And so this morning in the first scene, we see the empty tomb. And we'll walk through two other scenes where in the second scene, we see the disciples believe. In the third scene, we see that faith comes by hearing. But first, as we look at the empty tomb, I I want us to see that the empty tomb really calls us to action in, in three ways. 
First, the empty tomb compels our faith. Notice the excitement in verses 1 through 10. Everyone's running everywhere, right? Mary, Mary comes to the tomb she see, early. She sees the stone has already been rolled away. Then she returns and heads, heads back to tell Simon Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John. She heads back to tell them. All of a sudden, they get up and they begin running. They start running together, but verse 5 tells us that John outruns Peter and he arrives at the tomb first and he stoops and he looks in to see the linen wrappings are there. Then Peter... Once he catches up, he doesn't stop. He just goes right into the tomb and he begins to look and he sees the linen wrappings there and he sees Jesus' face cloth that's lying there, neatly rolled up and placed aside from the linen wrappings. John follows him in. Verse 8 tells us that the disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered and saw, uh, he saw and believed. In other words, John saw and he believed. John begins piecing all of the evidence and the events together. Perhaps in John's mind, he he jumps back to chapter 2, verses 19 and 22, where Jesus had said he'd answer, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Verse 22 says in John chapter 2, so that when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. And so John pieces all this together, and he realizes this isn't the work of a grave robber. A grave robber didn't come in and do this. No, this is, this is the work of, of God's plan. This is a climax of God's eternal plan for redemption. Jesus is alive. It says it there in verse 8. He saw and believed. Jesus is alive. He's no longer dead. And so for John, he continues to highlight throughout the resurrection account in chapter 20. The eyewitness accounts that are seen. Mary sees Jesus in verses 11 through 18. And she sees that it's him and she rejoices. And and the disciples in verses 19 through 23 see Jesus and they rejoice. And he shows them his hand and his side. And then Thomas in verses 24 through 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 29, he sees Jesus and he believes. And so John's careful to give us eyewitness accounts of the resurrection That Jesus in his physical body, he was raised from the grave. And so the empty tomb compels our faith. It compelled the disciples' faith and it compels our faith. But it doesn't just compel our faith. The empty tomb calls us to listen. And want us to see this in verses 11 through, through 18. 11 through 16, he calls us to listen. Can, Can you picture the scene Mary Magdalene is standing there at the tomb, weeping. She's distraught over someone has taken Jesus' body. Who took him? She stoops down to look into the tomb, which which certainly was a, a look of disbelief, just wondering if she truly saw what she thinks she saw. And when she looks in, there are two angels sitting there, one at the foot and feet and one at the head of where Jesus' body was laying. And they ask her, woman, why are you weeping? Because they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they laid him. The last 36 hours have been torturous for Mary. 
It's been torturous for the disciples. She's filled with an assortment of emotions that we see in this text. She's got worry that's mixed with sorrow and fear. And she's this emotional wreck. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. She didn't know it was him. She thought it was a gardener. So she begins to inquire of him, where have you laid his body? And as she's asking him, where have you laid his body? He says, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And when he said her name, look at what happened. Everything turned around. The familiar moment when Jesus says her name, she turned and she said to him, Rabboni, teacher. She recognized it was him. She heard his voice and and she heard it calling her name in that familiar way. And it was at that moment, I believe the Holy Spirit opened her eyes to recognize and see because Jesus looked different. But to recognize and see that it was it was Jesus. For me, it causes me to look back to John chapter 10, verse three, where Jesus says, the sheep, my sheep, hear my voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. And in John 10, 27, my my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. In verse 16, we see what immediately happened. Or verse 17, we see what immediately happened. She clung to Jesus. Worry and doubt and fear were, were cast out. Immediately she embraced him. And her fears and sorrows and worry ceased. I would ask us to consider this morning, what what is it that we worry about? What are the things that cause us doubt, worry, fear? The American Psychological Association indicates that more than half of Americans report stress-related health problems. In a 2010 survey, 40% of people said that in the past month, stress had caused them to overeat, are to eat unhealthy foods. Nearly one-third had skipped a meal because of stress. More than 25% said they had been unable to sleep. You know, we worry about a lot of things, don't we? We worry about how to pay the bills. We worry when we're young, will I ever find the right person for me? As we grow in life, we, we begin to, to worry about things like, what will I do with my life as we change seasons, maybe between high school and college or from college going into the, the quote-unquote real world. We, we wonder, what are we going to do with our life? Will I ever find the right person? I thought I'd be better by now. What's wrong with me? Where, what's, what's my place in this world? And can I really make a difference? We begin to ask these kind of questions. We worry about aging health or gaining weight, or maybe jobs, or, or big decisions, life decisions that we're, we're making. And the list could go on and on, couldn't it? But the issue is the same issue that Mary's struggling with here. She's struggling with doubt. She's struggling with trusting in, in God's sovereign will. She's struggling with believing that God is going to do what He said He is going to do. And it comes to me as we look in this text this morning that the answer to our high anxiety and worrisome living can really be found in listening to God and and listening to Him through His Word. Could it be that our worry and doubt reflect our focus on the pressures of this world rather than our privileged position as God's children in His kingdom? 
You see, the empty tomb calls us to listen to the shepherd. As he calls our name and as he leads us and he, he takes care of us and he shepherds us in our lives, he calls us to, to listen. In order to listen to the shepherd, we must spend time in his word. You see, if he's overcome death, won't he work through our lives as his children to overcome the tribulations of the world? That's what he said in John chapter 16, verse 33. In the world, you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome what? The world. Jesus turns our worry and and our sorrow into trust and peace as he does for Mary. She clings to him in this moment. The empty tomb not only compels our faith and calls us to listen, it also commands our obedience commands our obedience. Have you ever been so excited about something you just couldn't wait to tell everybody that you knew? Maybe it's engagement, or, or, or maybe it's, maybe it's the, the, the new job, or maybe it's the, uh, the raise that you got or the promotion that you got at work. You're, you're all excited. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a new pregnancy, and, and you're just excited, and you, you can't wait to tell everyone about it. What a fitting picture for what Mary experiences here and what we as disciples of Christ ought to experience as well. For Mary, the command she receives from Jesus is matched by an urgency on her part. She takes off. He says, don't cling to me. Instead, go and tell. And she goes and she tells the disciples exactly what she has seen. Verse 18, she goes and she says, I've seen the Lord. And here's what he told me. And she begins to recount in verse 17 what What the Lord told her, go and tell my brethren, I've ascended to my father and your father and my God and your God. You know what's incredible about that statement? Jesus uses familial language here. He wants us to see that as his followers, his disciples, those who believe in him, we are part of the family of God. He wants us to see that we too have the same access into the father's presence as he has. And it's because of the work that he has done On the cross. And since he bore our sin and satisfied God's wrath against us, we now have complete access into God's holy presence. That presence that that Drew was speaking about earlier, coming into his holy presence, we can only do this by the grace of Christ. Because he has risen from the grave. This is the hope of the resurrection. And so I'd ask us this morning, how has Christ's resurrection transformed our lives do we pray with boldness as hebrews teaches us do we pray in jesus name expecting that he hears what we're praying for and that he's ready and willing to answer that god is ready and willing to answer and 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 instruct us and teach us how to live according to his plan and his will is your faith one of action are we daily engaging in the good works that God has prepared for us beforehand from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that Drew quoted a moment ago. Can my life, our lives, be characterized as lives of trust and lives of peace because we're depending upon God daily? Because we trust that even though we don't know exactly what's going on, that God in his sovereignty has a plan and it's perfect and he is working it out for our good and for his glory. Is that where we're resting? 
The second scene I want us to notice is scene, scene two, that the disciples believe in verses 19 through 23. First, we see in verses 19 and 20 that Christ's resurrection brings joy. His resurrection brings joy. In verses 19 and 20, we get the details of the scene. When, when it was evening on the first day of the week, the doors were shut, the disciples are gathered in a room together, and it says they're, they're gathered there for fear of the Jews. They're tucked away and they're hiding. And it says Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And then he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples rejoiced when they saw His physical presence was among them, and he he showed them his hands and his side. And and as the text reads in verse 20, they rejoiced. Not only does John give us physical proof of Jesus' resurrected body, but I I think he's telling us that Jesus' resurrection is the cause for dispelling our fear and giving us joy. Two times this has happened, right? From Mary... And then also now for the disciples, when Jesus comes into their presence and they recognize him, all fear is gone. And this is the case for Jesus' disciples. When we're trusting in him, all fear is gone. And so we see that not only does Christ's resurrection bring joy, but belief in Jesus leads us to action in verses 21 through 23. You see, first the disciples are sent on mission by Jesus. Jesus' mission shaped the disciples' mission. He says in verse 21, So as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Jesus' mission was simple. It was this. He, He came to carry out God's eternal plan of redemption through His death in order to grant forgiveness of sins and to give eternal life to all who believe in Him. He has accomplished His mission through perfect obedience to the Father. What I want us to see is that His perfect obedience becomes the example for His disciples as they live out being His sent ones in the world. See, Christ's disciples, they don't begin a new mission No, they continue to carry out Christ's mission. That's what they're doing. Jesus told them in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me and the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. John 15, as well, reminds us the way this happens. This happens through abiding in His Word. And as we abide in His Word, guess what happens in the life of the disciple? We bear fruit. We bear the fruit as we abide in the vine, the fruit that that Christ supplies. And so what we need to do is understand that Jesus sends us on mission as well. Some of the ways we do that cross point as as a church is through through our Mother's Day out, we, we... we have begun, Crosspoint began years ago, Mother's Day out as a ministry into this community. Or maybe through the food pantry as we consider those who need food or the clothes closet, considering those who need clothing. Seeking to minister to, uh, to women who are in need through the miscarriage ministry or 
Offering things like we'll do in January, the parenting conference, all of this geared around outreach, wanting to share the love of Christ to impact the lives of others with the hope of eternal life. We do this not to make ourselves feel good. No, we do this because we are passionate about sharing the hope of eternal life, the resurrection of Christ. You see, the resurrection gives us hope. Even this past week, we set up food and manned a table and, and some of our ladies came up and uh, this handed out food and talked to people as they were here for, poll, for, for voting. You know, 1,100 people came on our campus Tuesday and they just came by a table and grabbed a snack and talked and visited and all day long. This is how we can be the effervescence of Christ in our community We want to shine the light of the gospel, and Christ wants to shine the light of his gospel in and through our lives. So he doesn't just send them on mission, he sends us on mission. And he doesn't just send them on mission by themselves. Listen, he empowers them for mission by the Holy Spirit. Look in verses 22 and 23. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. You see, it's by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that Christ's disciples will carry out his mission, that you and I can engage in the mission that God has called us to. In verse 23, the mission is seen. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Jesus has already spoken that his disciples will carry out his mission. And he's already spoken that his word will be the one that judges or the thing that judges those who reject his message on the last day. We reference John 12, 48, and you can go back and look at it later. But it says, he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. The point being this. The disciples were commissioned. The disciples were commissioned with the proclamation of his gospel. The disciples were to declare the terms by which people are forgiven by God or condemned by God. It's through the proclamation of the gospel that people are either forgiven or condemned. The disciples' chief mission, then, is to proclaim forgiveness to the world through Christ's death and to proclaim eternal life to the world through Christ's resurrection. Church, this is our mission as well. Paul captures the idea in 2 Corinthians 2.14 when he says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, And manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of his presence in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are perishing and among those who are being saved. To the one, the aroma from death to death. And to the other, the aroma from life to life. Who is adequate for these things? Only by the grace of God. Only by the Holy Spirit's empowerment can we take this message to the world. You see, this is the Holy Spirit responsibility, Holy Spirit filled responsibility of the church. 
Church, our role is to carry out the mission of Christ in the world. The disciples continue his mission. Church, uh, we continue his mission. And the mission is this, to proclaim Christ's death for the forgiveness of sin and to proclaim Christ's bodily resurrection for the entrance and the hope of eternal life. And as verse 31 says, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, this is the point of our proclamation that others might believe. We're empowered to live missional lives for the glory of God. And as we do, we understand that the word of God sanctifies us. The Holy Spirit empowers us and and teaches us truth. And he uses us, the church, to convict the world concerning what? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. As he's already said in chapter 16, verse 8. So I would ask this morning, do, do you know the joy of new birth because of the resurrection of Christ? And if so... When was the last time that you shared about the hope of eternal life with another person? Someone else. Vocally, I mean, engaging in conversation. When was the last time we did that? So I'm not pointing fingers here. I'm I'm asking, this is a question we all need to consider as those who have been saved by the grace of God. We ought to be uh, we ought to be excited about what Christ has done in our life. And when we come together for days like today to worship him, we we draw strength and encouragement from one another. But but we go out into the world and we take this mission of Christ out into the world. The third scene is verses 24 through 31. I think we see that faith comes by hearing. This is ultimately what Jesus tells Thomas. Faith comes by hearing. The question that's prompted in my mind as I consider this portion of the text is, what are we saved for? And to answer this question, we need to ask, what are the disciples saved for? And in verses 24 and 25, we uncover that Thomas wasn't there in the room when Jesus appeared to the disciples, the other ten, in verses 19 through 23. In fact, they told him that they had seen the Lord, and Thomas replied and said, I don't believe it. In fact, I won't believe unless I see for myself with my own eyes his hand that has the scar, and I'm able to put my finger and touch his hand and his side, and put my hand in his side. Eight days later, verse 26 tells us that the disciples are all gathered in the upper room, or not upper room, but maybe presumably the upper room, but they're gathered in a room together behind locked doors again, fearing the Jews. And Jesus appears, and Thomas is with them this time, and the first thing he does is he goes straight to Thomas. And in verse 27, he says to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here with your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believe. And then in next, verse 28, we have recorded what I think is one of the greatest worship moments in all of Scripture where Thomas falls down and says, my Lord and my God. Don't be unbelieving. Believe, Thomas. And when he sees him, he worships. He says, my Lord and my God. I think we can see from the disciples An example of two reasons why we're saved. The first one is we're saved to worship. 
Thomas begins to worship the Lord in that moment. And church, I want to challenge us that, that we ought to be captivated by God's simple yet extravagant plan to grant salvation to us. It ought to lead us to worship Him. I've shared before the quote from, from John Piper where he says, Missions exist because worship does not. Worship is, is the, the, the pinnacle of, of the the believer's life on this earth, when we come together, we, we're worshiping Christ together. This ought to be the high point of our week. Worshiping the Lord. Verse 29, really from this point forward, we see that faith must come by hearing and not seeing. Look at what Jesus says to Thomas in verse 29. Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet Believed. You see, the mission of Christ incarnation now moves through the disciples and their mission into the world. The second reason we're saved, I think, is we're saved. We're saved to witness. Verse 30 and 31. The gospel becomes incarnational as it's lived out in plain sight for all of the world to see. Verse 30, therefore, many other signs Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the thesis of John's gospel. For all who haven't seen the risen Christ, we have the written word of God. It's penned by men under the authority and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we have this so that we might believe and have life in his name. And so I ask us, church, what is our mission? What is our mission? As we live in the between time of Christ's resurrection and his return, what are we to be about? Worship and witness. We're to be about worship and witness. It means we must evangelize our communities as we live out the hope of the gospel day in and day out. It means we're to be the aroma of Christ to a world full of people who are without hope outside of knowing Christ. We must be hopeful, redemptive, Christ-exalting, Bible-believing people who profess faith in Christ as the one true God. That is the mission of the church. And so until Christ returns, let us be busy about going to the straying sheep of the world and bringing them into Christ's fold. Let us be busy about celebrating the hope of resurrection that because Christ was risen from the dead, we too will be risen from the dead. And because he was risen from the dead, we have life. And because he was risen from the dead, he overcame and he conquered death. So I want to encourage us this morning and challenge us that we would see our lives as Christians as sent into the world proclaiming the gospel of redemption, the hope of redemption in Christ's resurrection. And if we don't know Christ, if you don't know Christ this morning, I would challenge you to embrace the resurrection story, the narrative that John tells, the eyewitness accounts that he has given us 
embrace it in such a way as we see Mary and the disciples and Thomas embracing it, where he falls down and he says, my Lord and my God. He attributes deity to Christ. This morning to be saved, that's what must happen. You must attribute deity to Christ. He is God incarnate. And he's returned to the Father. So this morning, I pray that the Lord will speak to your heart and refresh your soul. Let us pray and you respond as the Lord leads. Father, thank you. Thank you for our salvation in Christ. Thank you, Father, for the hope of resurrection that we see in this text. And God, like like Thomas, we want to be so passionate to say, my Lord and my God, we want to worship you. We want our lives to be consumed with the mission that you have called us to. And that is just making you known, living out our faith day to day. God, strengthen us to do that. Refuel us, refill us, God. Refresh us with this wonderful message of of eternal life and the hope that we have through overcoming death. Let us not be worried about the tribulations of this life, but help us, God, to have a rock-solid trust in you. And Lord, teach us. Teach us how to do this day in and day out. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning?